as a judge in Afghanistan's court for the elimination of violence against women, Fariba presided over cases involving horrific abuse. All the cases that belong to the code of eliminating violence against women were like murder, torturing women. They were so dangerous. One case that really stood out for her involved a man who was convicted of killing his wife and who is a member of the Taliban. After he killed his wife, the man hung the dead body to make it look like a suicide. But the pictures in the case showed it was a murder. It was such a bad murder. To protect the judge in this case, we are using a pseudonym. Fariba is not her real name, and her voice has been replaced with the voice of a stand-in. During the trial, I talked to him and I asked him, why did you do this to your own wife? First you tortured her and then you killed her. At the end of the trial, he looked at me and said, hey woman, when I get out of prison, I will do with you what I did with my own wife. Fariba took that to mean that he would kill her too. For years, it seemed impossible that this man would be released from prison. But that changed two months ago. Just the past few weeks, the Taliban freed its prisoners from various jails in Afghanistan. There are hundreds of women judges like Fariba who are fearing for their lives and trying to flee Afghanistan. But the Taliban are throwing up obstacles, and the West is not helping. I'm Patricia Sabga, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Every day is a day of fear for Fariba, now that the prisoner she jailed is a free man. He told me, I've gotten all your information, like your phone number and ID card from the court. And he told me, I can find you where you live. I can find your family. He's called and threatened me many times. Fariba is not just a judge. She's a new mother. She's changed her phone number and she keeps moving from one safe house to another. But no sooner does she settle, she says, than he threatens her again. He continued to call, threatening me. I was living with my relatives. Then I changed my location and ended up renting out another house in the end. I went to a place no one can find me. But of course, I don't feel safe now. It's not just that murderer who's trying to find me. It's all the Taliban. They are the enemy of all the women who worked in the previous government, especially the women judges, because the Taliban don't accept a woman as a judge. Fariba says three weeks ago, about a month after the Taliban regained control of the country, she got a call from a colleague warning her that she was a marked woman the Taliban is here at the court, my colleague explained. They're saying the judge, the head of the court, is speaking against the Taliban. They told their people in Kabul to find this person saying bad things about the Taliban in the international media. After the call, there was a person who approached my neighbor and asked for a woman judge who was living there. My neighbor said they didn't know a judge, and I changed my location. It's hard to flee from one place to another with a small baby. The International Association of Women Judges, an NGO, has been able to get some women judges out of Afghanistan. Fariba is hoping they can help her too, and the sooner the better. I think it's impossible for me to live here for long. I don't know how much longer I will be safe here. My name is Kimberly Motley. I'm an international human rights and civil rights attorney. I've been working in Afghanistan since 2008. 
When Kimberly Motley first arrived, there were just a handful of lawyers registered with the Afghanistan Independent Bar. Just a few of them were women. But that was beginning to change. In 2009 is when I went into private practice in Afghanistan. There was sort of this resurgence of many Afghan women lawyers and people going to law school wanting to use the laws in a way to help to protect women. Talk about a vulnerable situation. Fast forward to August, the Western-backed government falls, the Taliban takes over. So what kind of dangers do these women and their families face in a Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? I mean, a lot of these women are in extreme danger. I am in contact with a lot of judges and lawyers, men and women. Um, and, And frankly, men are also being sort of targeted as well. But particularly with regards to the women, people have told me they're running from house to house in hiding because they know people are looking for them. Now, some judges have been able to leave the country since the Taliban takeover, but many are still stuck there. Do you know why it's taking so long to get them out? The problem is the West still does not understand Afghanistan, which is so extraordinarily frustrating. Before the Taliban took over Afghanistan, in order for a woman to get documents, government-issued documents, a state ID or a passport, you needed a male's permission. And so for a lot of women, they did not have a male that was allowing them to get their passports. So now what I'm seeing is there are evacuation missions that are happening in Afghanistan by different Western countries. However, for many of these countries, including the U.S., they are requiring a passport. So the West is unwittingly discriminating against women who culturally weren't able to get these documents even before the Taliban took over. Women judges all over the country are at risk. In some Afghan provinces, there were just two female judges. Some places had only one. And that, they tell us, makes them even easier targets to track down. Another woman judge we spoke with is Wahida. We've also changed her name to protect her identity. Wahida is a mother, too. We could hear one of her children crying in the background as she told us what she'd been going through in hiding. We have to take care of ourselves, our family, my kids. They are so small, six years, four years, and two years old. They don't know anything about this, why we are living like this. They mostly ask why we are not in our homes. All day, just myself and my husband, we are all just thinking is about their safety and their happiness. We don't know what else we can do for them. You're in hiding with your, with your family, with your children. When you were a little girl and the Taliban was in power more than 20 years ago, what were your dreams? What did you want to become when you grew up? In Afghanistan, there was Taliban regime, but my father and my mother were living in Pakistan as a refugee. When I came to Afghanistan, I was 10 years old. We started a new life. Hamid Karzai as a president. On that time, everything was just perfect. Everything was just secure. But now, Afghanistan, they all know what's the explosion, what's suicide bombing, what's gunshots. I can't make them feel happy and secure. And that's the most difficult thing for a mother. What made you want to become a judge? My father really wanted me to be a judge because justice in Afghanistan was a very honorable profession for a woman. So I started studying so hard. 
when I finished law school, I studied two years more. When I graduated from university, I got married. But even after getting married, even after getting pregnant and having a baby, I studied a lot to take an exam for being a judge. 4,000 people took this same exam every few years, says Wahida. And just 300 make it. I was among them. My family was very proud of that because they tried so hard for this. In a country like Afghanistan, they tried so hard for a girl to be in a judicial profession. In 2017, an event was held at the presidential palace in Kabul to celebrate Wahida and the other newly minted judges. It was a very big deal, she says. From the beginning, though, her profession was never safe. Afghanistan's Supreme Court assigned her to her birthplace, far from the capital, where the Taliban still had a lot of influence, though they weren't in power at the time. As I was just 24 years old, I was very terrified, but because I love the profession and we have tried so much for that, so I couldn't leave that also. The court agreed to help her, but told her she could not work in Kabul, insisting that she was needed in the provinces. I was a judge, finally, in province, far from Kabul city, hours away. Were you proud of the work that you were doing? I was very proud. She was the first female judge in the province where she was assigned. I was the first judge in a society full of men. It was like a taboo seeing a woman judge. So it was really hard for me, but uh, I made it. I was working mostly in women cases, threatening, assaulting, and so many abusing, beating them. The court was mostly punishing the husband, the brother, the father, anyone who would make them feel unsafe, insecure. When did you really start to worry the Taliban could take over Afghanistan? I got to be a judge four years. Mid-August, everything was finished. She says she still cannot believe how quickly everything changed when the Taliban seized control. They put the flag down and everything is finished. No government, no president. And from that day, no girls going to school. None of the courts are open. There is no prosecutor. There is no advocate. There is no judge. Nothing. What were you feeling? Were you scared for yourself? Were you scared for your family? All of us were very scared. As the U.S. left Afghanistan at the end of August, many women judges were literally running to the airport, desperate to get out. Wahida was one of them. I have gone to airport before 31st August. There was an explosion. There have been two explosions outside Kabul airport. The Taliban is saying now at least 13 people have been killed, many more injured. This all comes after... Those explosions were suicide bombings that killed at least 175 people. Most people were died. So it, all this was just a very bad moment. But even after that carnage, Wahida went back to the airport, trying to escape. With my small kids to the airport. But she had no way out. Wahida has connections to the United States. Her father, mother, and brother were among those who were able to evacuate to the U.S. after the Taliban takeover. Her father had been working for the U.S. government. But Wahida is still stuck and growing more desperate by the day. I want to talk about your specific situation right now. Are you safe right now? Is your family safe? My family is just myself, my husband, and my three kids, but they're all just looking for us because we were the people who put them behind the jails. Wahida describes filling out forms. 
every day trying to get permission to leave. Kimberly Motley, the lawyer who worked in Afghanistan you heard from earlier, she told us that the immigration process is simply not built for this. I mean, the U.S. started this whole program for those Afghans that work with American NGOs or American media agencies. And literally when the Taliban took over, I have a person that I signed up for that program in the first week that it was enacted. And I don't know one single person that has been approved for that program. Not one. They're just done with no explanation. It's ridiculous. There's applicants that served alongside armed Air Force men and women that six years they're waiting for an interview. And now they can forget about it because there's no U.S. embassy in Afghanistan where they can conduct the interview. And still I'm waiting to be evacuated. I don't know what will happen. And I don't know the exact problems, what's going on, why we are not giving the priority, because we are in the most terrific situation. How hopeful are you that you can get out at this point? I don't have visa yet. I'm trying a lot for a United States visa, but they're just saying everything's very slow. I'm just giving myself the hope. I'm praying always a miracle will happen. But we don't know what will happen after a minute, an hour. One day they just say, no, we won't let you. Just stop the planes. You don't have the right to go. We heard voicemails from other judges desperate to escape as well, crying and praying to get out. Again, they asked us not to play them in case their voices were recognized. Since the Taliban takeover on August 16th, There are already reports of bodies being hung from cranes in Herat, a signal that the Taliban may be returning to the justice system of the past. Amnesty International just came out with a report saying, quote, the Taliban are steadily dismantling the human rights gains of the last 20 years. Saifullah Mohammadi, a Taliban spokesman in Ghazni province, south of Kabul, told Al Jazeera women will be subject to Islamic law. If they wear the hijab and follow Islamic law and cover themselves, then they might be able to keep working. The Taliban leadership will decide where women can work and what jobs they can do. It should be noted, there is no single interpretation of Islamic law. And the Taliban's interpretation has been one of the harshest where women's rights are concerned. Susan Glazebrook heads the International Association of Women Judges, which is working on both Farida and Wahida's cases. I had a 25-hour day once when we were busily trying to get the help and guide them through the airport process in that initial phase, because that was absolutely horrific. As she spoke with us, her phone kept pinging as new messages arrived from Afghanistan. It seems that being a woman judge, a woman judging men is total anathema to the Taliban. Some of their leaders are saying that the situation is not decided yet and it's not entirely sure that women won't be able to be judges, but all our judges are convinced and we're convinced that women judges no longer have a place in Afghanistan under the Taliban and their lives are in major danger. What they desperately need are visas. Maria Patsalos is a British attorney with the firm Mishkan Dure that's working with dozens of Afghan judges, both men and women, who are trapped. The missing link is the visas. 
Right now, she's focusing her efforts on getting them visas. We are not getting the visas from the UK government. We had one judge last week saying she couldn't handle it anymore and that she was giving up. Her firm is now in the process of suing the British government over its visa policy. I think if we do get the visas, we could get them out. We've said to the government, don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about planes. Don't worry about getting people safely to airports. We will handle all of that. All we need from you are the visas. I'm very thankful to them that they're trying hard for us, but they don't tell us what's the problem. When I ask the advocate in the United States, they just say that we are asking the State Department, but they told us we have to wait 12 or 14 months for a visa. So that's disappointing for me. Wahida is losing hope, but it's all she has. And after spending so much time in Afghanistan, seeing all the work these women did to bring justice to other Afghan women, Kimberly's disappointed too. I think there's a lot of countries that unfortunately are not stepping up to the plate as they can and should, which is really, really disheartening. I mean, I feel like for a lot of Western countries, we sort of sold them this idea of rule of law and democracy. And we really, in many ways, have abandoned them. And the way that we, the United States, left Afghanistan, we knew this was coming. But the way that it happened was so irresponsible and just erupted this humanitarian nuclear bomb. It did not have to happen this way. I know they can do a lot for us and they're trying. The main problem that we are still here. Wahida was still in Afghanistan when we wrapped this episode. Then we got a voice message left around 8 a.m. Athens time on Monday, October 25th. Hello, ma'am. I just wanted to inform you that I came to Greece uh, via Georgia from Mazar Sharif Airport. I'm in a safe place. Wahida, along with dozens of other judges, escaped Afghanistan with the help of the International Association of Women Judges. We came here and now I'm talking to you from Greece, from the airport. They've booked hotels for us. We are waiting to go to hotel and just wanted to make sure that we are safe. But right now we are just uh, fine and okay. When we spoke to her, the past 24 hours were a blur, and she still has no clarity on where she'll go next. She's been told Germany might be an option. But what matters most to her right now is that she, her husband, and their three sons feel safe for the first time in months. We're all very happy. We are just waiting for what will happen in the future. Our visa is not more than 16 days, maybe one month. So we have to go to like a third country to just stay. Let's see what will happen, but finger crossed. For a good future, for us, for the kids, inshallah. Hours later, Fariba got in touch with us. She was the first woman you heard from. She was also able to escape Afghanistan, and she's now in Greece as well. But while she and Wahida were able to flee, there are still well over 100 female judges still stuck in Afghanistan, still hiding from the Taliban, and still waiting to escape. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Tilvey, 
Alexandra Locke, Nagin Oliayi, Ney Alvarez, and me, Patricia Sabga, in this week for Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Our engagement producer is Aya Almalek. And Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Steve Lack mixed this episode. The executive producer of The Take is Stacey Samuel. And we want to thank Al Jazeera's Jennifer Glass for her help with this episode, as well as Mel Goh and Judge Marzia Baba Karhel, who fled Afghanistan more than a decade ago after two attempts on her life. We'll be sharing her story on Twitter and Instagram. We're at AJ The Take. And we'll be back. <laughs>